Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And I'd like to direct your attention this morning to Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse number 17. And we'll read down through verse 27 this morning. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27. When you think about serving the Lord... A lot of times in our mind, we think of serving the Lord as something that we do for maybe an hour or two sometime in the week. Maybe there's an area of ministry that we have a part in that's a part of the church assembling together. Or perhaps there's a way that we're serving the Lord outside of those regular services. But we think, okay, well, here's, here's the two or three areas where I'm serving the Lord. And here in Acts chapter 20, in this passage, we're going to find that serving the Lord is far different than that. It is a commitment of the entire life to the will of God. And here in Acts chapter 20, Paul is preparing to leave from Asia. And he's going to be traveling to the city of Jerusalem. He knows that that is going to be a life-changing experience when he arrives in Jerusalem. He knows, he makes reference to that in this passage about what he has heard is waiting for him, and he has confidence that he's never going to see these brethren again that he is speaking to. And these are the the pastors of the church in Ephesus that he has grown so close to. He had spent a great deal of time in Ephesus. He trained these men for the ministry. He left them there to do the work after he departed to go to other places. Now, he's called them to himself, and they're having one final meeting before he goes on to future things, anticipating that he'll never see them again this side of heaven. And in the process here, in these verses, he talks a lot about what it means to serve the Lord. And so I want you to think about it as we read this passage, frame it in that context. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. We'll read down through verse 27, and then we'll get into our thoughts from this passage this morning. The scripture says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons... Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now... Behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. 
For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now certainly when we think about the Apostle Paul, he, he had upon his life a call to the ministry, which meant that his primary vocation had to do with preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we tend to put servants of the Lord like that in a different category and then ourselves in some other category and say, well, you know, those who are doing the gospel full-time, who are preaching the gospel full-time, they have a different kind of service than what I have to the Lord. And really, that is not true. It's the same service. It's just perhaps in a different venue that we are called to serve the Lord. But what I want to point out to you in this passage is that not just the Apostle Paul, but all of us are called to serve the Lord at all times. And, and you see, as he expresses and describes his service to the Lord, I think that it helps us to understand what it means to serve the Lord. Notice, first of all, he speaks about his manner, and he uses that word in verse number 18 when he says to them, you know after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And the manner that he's speaking about really refers to just his way of life, the, the way that he went about things. What did he do as a servant of the Lord. And there's a number of descriptors that are used in these verses to help us understand his manner. The first one that, that we will point out here is that he said that he was with them at all seasons. So he's speaking to men who had observed his ministry in all sorts of environments, all sorts of uh, you know, the good times, the bad times, there were the, the, the mountaintops and the valleys, the, the daytime, the nighttime. They'd seen him in all kinds of different seasons of ministry. He said, I've been with you in all of these sorts of circumstances, the good and the bad, and you know that I have served the Lord faithfully in every one of those circumstances. I want to point out to you that we tend to be excited about serving the Lord when we're on the mountaintop, when things are going good and seems like the Lord is, is really working and we say, boy, I want to have a piece of that. But then there's the valleys and it's not so exciting to serve the Lord in the valleys. In fact, sometimes we say, Lord, could I just sign up for any mountaintop experiences? I'll be there. But the valleys, I'd like to avoid those. But that's not how it works, you see. As a servant of the Lord, we're called to serve at all seasons and I'll point out to you in verse 9 that our service is really directed to the Lord, serving the Lord. We can get caught in a trap as we're serving in, in the Lord's church. We can get caught in the trap of serving for ourselves, whatever satisfaction we get out of that ministry, or serving for someone else, perhaps to get some sort of applause or accolades from others and thus to make ourselves feel better and say, okay, well, I'm really contributing something. But the reality is that all service ought to be directed first and foremost to the Lord. And sometimes, you know, folks get bent out of shape. We all have this tendency if we're not getting recognized enough, if people aren't noticing what we're doing. But, you know, when you feel your heart being pulled in that direction, you ought to ask yourself, now, who is it that I'm serving again? Am I, am I serving the Lord 
Or am I serving other people and hoping that they'll notice, hoping that they'll praise, hoping that they'll, they'll see the things that I'm contributing? No, we see that Paul was very careful to serve the Lord. He put the Lord first. You'll also notice in verse 19 that his manner involved a humility of mind. And the psalm which we read this morning reminded us that we ought not to have a high mind. We ought not to be lofty in our thinking about ourselves. And Paul could say of himself that he had a humility of mind. Now, you, if you know much about the Apostle Paul, you could say there could be some reasons in a, in a human sense that he could think highly of himself. He's highly educated. He was a man who had reached some great attainments in his past. He was a man who had mastered the Old Testament scriptures. He was a man who was acquainted with the presence of God. And so you could say about him, well, he might have some reasons to get a little bit of a big head, but he said, I'm careful to always serve the Lord with humility of mind. Because why? He remembered that he was a servant. He remembered that he was serving the Lord and serving others. And so he wanted to make sure that his mindset was right. I want to remind you this morning that there's no place for pride in the service of the Lord. In fact, if we begin serving the Lord with a spirit of pride, looking for the praise of men, Jesus said, when you get the praise of men, you have your reward. You got what you were looking for. And the implication in that passage is there will be no reward from the Lord because you got what you were looking for. Now, I don't know about you, but if pride is going to keep me from receiving the rewards from the Lord... I want to be really careful not to allow pride to have its way in my life. But certainly, if we're honest with ourselves, and we ought to be honest with ourselves, pride is one of those sins that we all struggle with. It's one of those sins that we have to constantly be on the watch for and constantly struggling and fighting against. So he said, I'm careful that I'm serving the Lord with humility of mind. You might think of yourself this morning, well, I'm too small and insignificant to serve God. That's a false statement. No one is too small or insignificant to serve the Lord. Amen. However, you can be too big to serve God. You can, you can be so big in your own mind that you're unusable to the Lord. So make sure that you have a humility of mind. Then he points out to us that part of this service for the Lord in verse 19 and part of his manner was that he served with many tears. And, and you'll find that in serving the Lord, it's not all happy times. I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful when you have happy times. When, for instance, God answers prayer and you rejoice in the, in the prayer that has been answered. When someone gets saved and you rejoice in all that God has done in bringing that person to, to himself... Uh, when, when there's some kind of a need and God provides that need and, and we can rejoice in those things. But the truth is that in the, in the service of the Lord, there's a lot of sorrow, there's a lot of disappointment, there's a lot of difficulty that can be encountered. And those things can sometimes move us to tears. There, there will be tears. The burdens that people bear as they, as they open up and share with you the, the burdens that they're bearing, there are times that that will become an emotional burden for you in the service of the Lord. There's times that you'll watch people going through trials and you'll see them enduring those difficulties and it will affect your, your heart. It will cause you to, to cry tears. 
So he said, look, it's not, it's not all happy times. It's not all victories and, and wonderful experiences, but the ministry involves some tears. It also involves some temptations. And the word temptation in particular that's used here in verse 19 speaks about a trial. It has the idea of being tested, of your faith being put to the test. And, and certainly Paul could say that there were many temptations that he had faced in serving the Lord. He was constantly being tested by the difficulties that he faced as he was working for God, as he was serving for God. And he's facing these difficulties, but he's not afraid of those difficulties. He said, this is normal. This is the normal way of life. Now, just for a moment, I want you to pause and think of how many of us, we face a little bit of difficulty and we say, well, God, if that's how it's going to be, I'm not going to serve you. I mean, that's our human tendency. We tend to back away from difficulty and trouble, but God has told us that if we're going to serve him, there's going to be some temptations. Your faith is going to be put to the test. There's going to be some struggles and some, some, some problems, some difficulties that you're going to face. Paul wasn't afraid of that. He said, you know that I've faced some temptations. By the way, the backdrop of these temptations would have been the persecutions that were so real against him. The times when his life was threatened, the times when he had to leave a town because the persecution had come so strongly against him and those that he had reached that he had to flee in order to preserve his life and take some of the heat of, uh, of that persecution away from the believers in that area. And so he knew what it was to face temptations. And he said, you know that I'm willing to face these things in order, in order to serve the Lord. Continue on. He says there in verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Paul is saying, in effect, you know that when I was serving the Lord and when I was there ministering among you, I left everything on the table. I, I put it all out there. I, I gave my wholehearted service for the Lord. I didn't hold anything back for myself or, or uh, thinking, well, I'm going to reserve this much. No, I'm going to put it all into the service of the Lord. How many of us are half-hearted in our service for God? You say, well, I'll serve God this much, but that's asking too much to go to that point. Paul said, I serve the Lord with nothing in reserve. I put it all on the table. I, I left it all on the field. I went passionately after the service of God and kept back nothing. I wonder if you could look at your life and say with honesty that that is the, the manner of your service for the Lord, that you've held nothing back from Him, but that you've given everything of yourself to serve the Lord. Then he goes on and he says, I showed you and have taught you. So now he's getting down to the specifics of how he served the Lord. He says, you know, in, in this manner of keeping nothing back, I was involved in demonstrating the truth. And this is, he's warming to his subject now. Because service for the Lord involves communication of the truth and application of the truth to another person's life. And, and it's in a twofold manner. He says, I showed you and I taught you. And, and I believe what he's saying is, I lived it, and then I told you how it was. So there is the model, the, the example of his own life, where he was saying, this is how I lived, this is what I did, and you know it. 
You know that this is the way that I lived. You know that this was the kind of faith that I had. And then I taught you the same things. I I shared those things with you so that you could also live the same way. And we might point out that it did have that effect in these men's lives. The church at Ephesus at this time was a powerhouse for God. There were many people who had been saved and discipled. They were at this time evangelizing all throughout Asia Minor, planting churches. God was working mightily through them. And Paul could say, I had a part in that. And you know, he says, that it was because I showed you and I taught you. There was no mistaking what Paul believed. You didn't have any sort of dissonance between what he said and what he did. He was consistent in his life and he was consistent in his teaching. And Paul could say to them, you know that this is so. I'm, I'm presenting myself to you and saying, is there any disagreement about this? Because Paul had this kind of a testimony. And then I'll point out to you again his manner. He showed them and he taught them both publicly and from house to house. So there's two models of teaching. There's the model of teaching which looks like what's going on right now publicly where someone stands and addresses a larger group of people and instructs in the things of the Lord. That's what is going on right now here in our assembly. But then there's also the model of from house to house. And this looks more like sitting across the table from another person, perhaps one-on-one or one Uh, One person speaking to just a couple of people, a small group of people, and sharing with them the truth and speaking into their life. And Paul said, I'm comfortable dealing with a large crowd. I'm also comfortable going and looking across the table at another person and instructing them and discipling them, teaching them personally the things of the Lord. And both of these are a necessary part of the ministry. Paul said, you know my manner. You know that these things are so. Now, I want to point out to you that you and I ought to be involved in this same kind of service for the Lord. We ought to have this same kind of a testimony of consistency and faithfulness and being involved in other people's lives, instructing them in the things which God has said so that they can grow in their faith and see the same things happen in their life that are happening in your life. The manner of the man of God. But then notice the message of the man of God. Because he, in verse 21, he says, and this is what I was teaching. This is what I was telling people about. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we talk about the specifics of his message, I want to point out to you that this message is appropriate for all men. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter what your religious background is, where you come from, the need is the same. All men have the same need. It's universal. And the need is that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And so Paul knew that wherever he went and whoever he was talking to, the message could be the same. He might approach the message a little bit differently, but the message was always going to be the same. It was going to be repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about these two things for just a moment because they're so significant and so important. And and first of all, let me point out to you that this is the message of the New Testament. This is the message that ought to be preached pertaining to the gospel. It's the message of John the Baptist. It was the message that Jesus preached. 
It's the message of the apostles. Clearly here, it's the message of the apostle Paul. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And this takes in the right response to the good news, the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again and that there's deliverance through him. So let's think first of all about repentance. And today this is a message that is forgotten by many people. The the idea of repentance means that there needs to be a change. There needs to be a turning. That's literally what the word means. It means to turn or to change. And he said there needs to be repentance towards God. Now, why would we need to repent towards God? Well, simply this, because we have sinned against God, because we have broken God's law, because we are guilty in the eyes of God, and God doesn't want us to stay the same. But this is the crux of the matter when it comes to a relationship with God. Many people say, I want to have a relationship with God, but they don't want to have any change in their life. They want to do their own thing and live their own life and still call themselves Christians, still claim to have a relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. If you have a relationship with God, there is going to have to be a change in your life. I mean, this is akin to to me when, when it was time for Allison and I to be married, for me to say to her, now, I'd really like to be married to you. I really want to have a relationship with you, but I'm not so keen on this whole thing of of being married. And so, you know, I just would like to go on with life like it was before. I think I'm going to still, you know, live at my parents' house and you live at your parents' house. And, and, uh, and, you know, we're not really going to be married in that sense, you know, but we'll, we'll call ourselves married. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Do you think she's going to understand what I'm saying? No. Well, I hope she wouldn't. She'd say, what's wrong with you? If you want to have a relationship with me, if you want to be married to me, there's got to be a change in your life. There's got to be some things that have to change. You want a relationship with God, there's got to be some surrender. There's got to be a change that takes place in your life. There's got to be a repentance toward God. Repentance is a necessity. Now, this is where the second component of the message comes in. It's repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And where people fall into a trap is thinking that they have the capacity to change themselves. And and they go about to try to make themselves good enough for God to save... They say, well, I'll change this and I'll change that and I'll put these things in order and then I can, then God will accept me. No, you got it all wrong. You see, the, the repentance is an attitude of heart that recognizes I cannot save myself. God has to change me. Amen. And that's where faith comes in. Because when you have faith in Christ, it means that you've recognized you can't save yourself. You're, you're incapable of saving yourself. And I want to point out to you that if you could save yourself, why would Jesus have come? Doesn't make any sense that Jesus would have come if we have the capacity to save ourselves by good works, by being a better person, by turning over a new leaf. So clearly, we need Jesus. Repentance brings us to the place where we long for a change, but we also recognize that we can't institute that change in our own power. That's why we need a Savior. 
That's why Jesus came. He came not just to die for us, but also to rise again from the dead and allow us to have resurrection power. You see, He died in our place as the sacrifice for sin, but He also gives us His life and His power. And Paul said, this is the message that I preach, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've traveled the world and I've seen all kinds of different religions and the exercises of men in their religion in trying to please the gods that they worship. And it's all the same. Looks a little bit different. Maybe the form is slightly tweaked from this thing to that thing, but it's all the same. It's man trying to make himself better to attain to some higher level and save himself. But the message of the Bible is completely different from that. The message of the Bible says you cannot save yourself. That's why you need a Savior. So Paul was careful when he preached the message. The message was all about Jesus Christ. Faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. He was careful to make sure that people understood the message of the gospel. Something that I've observed in my ministry and in my Christian life is that there are many people who call themselves Christians, who do not understand this message. And when you ask them about this message or about the means of salvation, they will express something that is quite different from the message of the New Testament. And that is why we must be careful to proclaim this message to everyone who will hear. Because ultimately, if a person doesn't come to Christ, they can try to make their life better. They can try to become a better person, try to clean things up, maybe try to become more religious, but ultimately that is not going to help them in eternity unless they are born again. So Paul was careful to preach this message. He said, you know the message that I preach. And some people say, see, that's an indication that all we should ever preach about is the gospel. We just need to major on salvation and forget the rest of the details. Well, hold on a second. Because I want to point out to you that he says in verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, once they got saved, the gospel has applications in many other areas of our life. And he was careful to teach them and to preach to them everything that they needed. You know that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's a great deal of discipleship that is needed, uh, of changing our way of thinking from the the way of the flesh, from the, the human reasoning that we're so comfortable with, and instead replacing those thoughts with the truth of God. And so Paul knew that these people needed that, and he was careful to preach all the truth of God. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't say, well, that's just a minor issue. That's not that important. No, if it was in the Bible, he was going to deal with it. He was going to instruct. He was going to teach. His message was clear. And he could say with a clear conscience in verse 26 that he had done such a thorough job that I am pure from the blood of all men. And this, I want you to just get the sense of this. Paul is saying, I've held nothing back. I, I've not tried to. I've not tried to to deceive anyone. 
I've not tried to tell someone what they wanted to hear or make them feel better about themselves so that they would like me. No, I've been careful to just speak the truth of God to everyone who will listen. Because of that, I'm pure from the blood of all men. Now, I don't know how many of us could really say that with a clear conscience because it is true that there are times that we pull back from speaking the truth to others in love because we're afraid of their response. We're afraid of what they will think of us or afraid of how they might treat us. But we see that Paul had a message that he preached. Could I point out to you before we move on, as Christians, as servants of the Lord, is it not true that we talk about many other things to the exclusion of the most important thing? I'm not suggesting that as Christians you can't talk about anything else in your life. But what a tragedy it is that many Christians cannot remember the last time they spoke the gospel to someone who did not know Christ. If we cannot remember the last time we spoke the gospel to someone, is it reasonable to say, I am pure from the blood of all men? Or would it be more likely that we have been negligent in our duty with sharing this message. So we see his manner. We see his message. But then notice his mission. As he speaks about what is coming for him in the future, he's speaking about, of course, the fact that he's getting ready to leave. He's going to be leaving from Asia and going to the city of Jerusalem. And he says in verse 22, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So, he's thinking about going to the city of Jerusalem. We know that he wants to go there partly to fulfill a vow. He is is committed to going and sharing the gospel with people in Jerusalem. And and he describes the, the, the urgency of this by using the phrase, I am bound in the Spirit. And it means that he is, he is just all wrapped up in this mission. Like there is, there is nothing else that he can do. And you'll see as we move forward in the book of Acts, there's some people who try to deter him from this, who try to steer him a different direction. But Paul is not going to be deterred. He says, I know that this is what God wants me to do. I am willing to go here. I am willing to do this. I am compelled in my spirit to fulfill this mission. Would that we all had that kind of a compelling to share the gospel with people around us. Would that the passion for sharing the gospel with others would burn so strongly in our heart that during the day we would think about, now how can I preach the gospel to those around me? How can I fulfill this mission that God has given to me? And so Paul's bound in the spirit, but he knows and he mentions it that the result of going to Jerusalem is that there's going to be bonds and afflictions waiting for him. Now, however you understand the words bonds and afflictions, there's nothing good about that. There's nothing comfortable about that. He knows that trouble is coming. He knows that this is going to be difficult. He knows that the end of this could be the end of his life. But notice... He, he has such a strong desire to serve God, to do what God has called him to do, that he says in verse 24, and he's not using hyperbole. I don't believe that he's exaggerating. 
He says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself. It was obvious to Paul that he must pay a dear price, but Paul was not willing to back away from the calling of God. Paul knew that God had called him to do this, and he was completely unmoved by the cost of continuing in the work of God. Now, this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus said we ought to count the cost. Count the cost. Before you say that you're going to follow Christ and do His will and be His servant, count the cost. It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. By the way, before you give yourself to the world, to serve the world and to fulfill your lusts and your desires, count the cost. There's a cost. Whatever you choose to do, there's a cost. So count the cost. But Paul said, I counted the cost. I know it's going to cost me something. I know it's going to be hard. But none of these things move me. Now, I wonder what moves you. I wonder what causes you to step back and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to serve the Lord anymore. What discouragement? What disappointment? What lack of recognition? What offense? What, what circumstance? What is it that would cause you to say, you know what? It's just not worth it to serve the Lord anymore. Now, I'm speaking to enough people in this audience to be aware of the fact that there are at least some who are right now thinking, you know, it might be easier just to step back and not serve the Lord anymore. I, I don't know if I really want to pay the price anymore. I, it's getting too hard. You know, there's things happening in my family that are just making it hard to serve the Lord. There's, there's things going on in my job. I've got some health things that I'm dealing with. It's just not what it used to be. I don't know if I want to serve him anymore. Paul said, no matter what it costs me, no matter what, I'm serving him. He's first. And I hope you have that kind of resolution. I hope that you have that kind of determination in your spirit that none of these things will move you, nor count I my life dear. You know why it is that many people don't want to serve the Lord? It's because they value their lives too much. And, and by that, I don't mean they value living and breathing, you know, walking and having nourishment. I mean their lives in the sense of living their own life. I got my own plans. I got my things that I need to do. So many Christians are living in this way. Lord, I got some things to get done here. But once I get those things done, then you know that I'll surrender to you and I'll do whatever you want. I mean, right now, this is my time. You'll get your time later. Do you know, most of the time... Those people never get around to serving the Lord. If it's not okay to serve God now, it won't be okay to serve God later. You need to serve God in the place where you are. And you need to be careful not to count your own life too dear. If we value our lives too much, we will end up neglecting to serve the Lord. We'll say things like, well, I can't afford to serve the Lord. I don't have time to serve the Lord. 
I'm, I'm too busy to serve the Lord. I mean, you've got to understand my career, my family, my, my finances, my plans for the future, my, my schooling, this, that. There will always be a reason to not serve the Lord if your life is too dear unto yourself. And if your life is too dear unto yourself, you'll find that you won't live for Him. I mean, you'll go through the motions of Christianity, show up at church once in a while, talk about Christian things, carry a Bible here and there. But you, you know, as well as anybody around you, that you're not actually living for the Lord. You're just living for yourself and putting a Christian stamp on it to make yourself feel better. Are you living for God, really? Or is your life too dear to yourself? And then, you know, we kid ourselves. We say, when persecution comes, I'll die for the Lord. Really? You'll die for the Lord? I find that hard to believe. If you won't live for Him, why would you die for Him? The truth is, to many of us, we do count our lives dear to ourselves. But Paul said, that's, I'm willing to put it all on the line. My life is not dear to me. What's dear to me is what God has for me to do. And he goes on in verse 24, look at this, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul says, if this is the end, going to Jerusalem, if this is the end of the line, I want to make sure to finish with joy. I want the satisfaction of knowing that I have done what God told me to do. I want to be finishing the course. You know, it's a shame to start a race and not finish it. My dad taught me from the time I was a boy, if you start something, you finish it. Even if you don't finish in the top three, you're not the winner, at least finish what you started to do. And we could say as Christians that we ought to have the desire to finish our course. Lord, I want to do what you've asked me to do, and I want to see it all the way through to the end. I want to be a Christian all the way until my last breath. I want to be on mission all the way until the Lord says that's the end. That's what Paul wanted. He said, I want to finish my course and the ministry which I have received. You see, Paul had been given the privilege of serving others with the gospel by the Lord himself. He didn't want to surrender that which was freely given to him. So he said, I want to finish my ministry. I want to do what God has called me to do. We need this spirit of holy determination in serving the Lord. Too many of us are easily dissuaded from serving the Lord by things that really don't even matter. And it's because we count our lives dear to ourselves. Paul said that he wanted to testify the gospel of the grace of God everywhere he went. Paul wanted to focus his preaching on the gospel of God's grace. Now, I want you to consider with me this morning that all around us there are people who need God's grace. There's people who need to hear the message of the gospel. They need to hear that there's a Savior, that there's deliverance from the the curse of sin, that that God wants to be real to them. People need to hear that Jesus has died for their sins all around us. There are those who need to hear this message. 
But they will not hear this message unless we testify of the gospel of grace. And I want you to understand that the essence of serving the Lord is sharing that message of the gospel of grace. So now as we bring the service to a close this morning, I want you just for a moment to think about the people who are around you. Not, not here in the service, but the people who are around you in your life. The people that you see on a, a daily or maybe a weekly basis. People that you have a relationship with. Let me ask you a question about those people. Do you have some of those folks in your mind? First of all, do they know the Lord? You're a believer. Are they believers? And probably of some of those folks, you would say, no, they're not believers. Okay, I, I hope actually that all of us know some unbelievers. Second question. Do those who are unbelievers know the gospel of grace. Have they heard the gospel message from your lips? Have you shared with them why Jesus is important to you? Now, if you answer no to that question, then I want to ask you, doesn't that have something to do with you serving the Lord? And maybe this morning, and this is going to be the, this is going to be the call to action or the invitation this morning, let's ask God to give us an opportunity to speak the gospel of grace to some of the people who we are already relating with, that are already a part of our life, who don't know the Lord and have never heard the gospel message from our lips. This morning, if we all cry out to God and ask God to give us that opportunity, could you imagine what would happen if all of us began to serve the Lord with the same intensity as the Apostle Paul? What would happen with the relationships that we have with the people around us?